last couple of weeks, I've been pondering this question. So I wanted to, to give it to you this morning. Why does the booing in life always seem to drown out the cheering? And I guess this question started in my mind because I came across a quote, which I'll share with you. And it says this, the loudest boos will always come from the cheapest seats. People who invest the least in you will have the most to say. Trust your work and keep your circle tight. And I thought it's so true, isn't it? It's so true that we sometimes let those who, who know us the least or are least invested in us sort of boo and, and criticise us and we take it on board. Because I know for me, 50 people could tell me that I'd done something well. 50 people could say, oh, I love your hair today or I love your outfit today. And then one person could say the opposite and immediately I have trouble remembering what the previous 50 people have said. And I think it's just the way we are. And I've never been a fan of the booing, to be honest. Maybe, maybe it's the way I'm wired. I don't know. Maybe it's because my mother always instilled in me, if you have nothing good to say, don't say anything. I don't know. But I guess I've tried to discipline myself to see the good in things. The positives. I guess you'd probably say I'm an optimist at heart, I think. That's not a bad way to be, I guess. And so when you look in scripture and you're looking for an optimist, I don't think you can go past David. He continuously finds himself in circumstances and situations where his positive faith-filled attitude brings him through. And I love that. And I think when we talk about David, the most well-known story of David, I think, is the first one we read, which is the story of David and Goliath. We love that story, don't we? And we love it because it's the little guy going up against the giant with nothing but a few smooth rocks that he scooped out of the riverbed on his way, and he goes against all odds, and he wins. And I think we love it because it gives us hope in the seemingly hopeless situations in life that we can find ourselves in sometimes. But even in this story, Dave, where David literally saves the day, he has to endure his share of booing. So let's just recap the story. David is the youngest of eight brothers and three of his eldest brothers have gone to fight the Philistine army. And David normally looks after the sheep. He tends the sheep for his father. That's his job. But his dad has asked him to go up to the battle and take some food for his brothers and to bring back news of what's happening. And as David arrives on the battlefield, the Philistines have just produced their secret weapon, Goliath. And 1 Samuel 17, 4-7 describes Goliath like this. A giant, nearly 10 feet tall, stepped out from the Philistine line into the open, Goliath from Gath. He had a bronze helmet on his head and was dressed in armour, 126 pounds of it. Well, that's about 58 kilos. He wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence rail. The spear tip alone weighed over 15 pounds. Well, that's about six kilos. So there's no doubt that Goliath is a big dude. He's a big dude. And David arrives and hears Goliath taunting the Israel the Israelite army, and is determined to get involved. And if we continue to read in 1 Samuel 17, 26 to 33 says this, David, who was talking to the men standing around him, asked, 
What's in it for the man who kills that Philistine and gets rid of this ugly blot on Israel's honour? Who does he think he is anyway, this uncircumcised Philistine, taunting the armies of God? And they told him what everyone was saying about what the king would do for the man who killed the Philistine. Eliab, his older brother, heard David fraternising with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. What's with you? replied David. All I did was ask a question. Ignoring his brother, he turned to someone else and asked the same question and got the same answer as before. The things David was saying were picked up and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. Master, said David, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go fight this Philistine. Saul answered David, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. He's been at this fighting business since before you were born. So here is this young man who's literally willing to risk his life for the honour of his people in a situation where even the most seasoned soldiers are literally trembling in their boots. And instead of being champion and instead of being encouraged, he has to endure the booing. And his brother accuses him of, you know, he's just coming to rubberneck. He's just coming to have a look at the battle. He's just hoping to see something gory, you know, and because he's a young man. And the king tells him that he's too young and too inexperienced. And I guess we have the benefit of knowing how the story ends. And we do. We know how it ends. David rises above the naysayers and slays Goliath with his first rock. But I wonder what would have happened if the booing had been able to drown out David's confidence. If David had actually paid attention to what these people were saying, the story would have ended very differently. And I think that's the problem with listening to the booing in life. It robs our confidence, it undermines our self-esteem and, and it pretty much limits what we're able to do. I've always been a firm believer that everybody needs a cheer squad in life. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. But I love how the message puts it. The message says this, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it, strip down, start running and never quit. We are always being cheered on in life. We just need to determine to drown out the booze and rise to the cheers. And this morning, I just want to look at a couple of practical things that you can do to drown out the booze in life. Are you ready? Here we go. The first thing is this. Ask yourself who's saying it. Who are the booers? Are they people whose opinion you respect? Do they even know you? Do they have your best at heart? Because, you know, I've found this. People say dumb stuff all the time, and I include myself in that. People say dumb stuff all the time. Remember the quote that started this thought for me. The loudest boos always come from the cheapest seats. People who invest the least in you will have the most to say about you. The amount someone can speak into your life is directly proportional to the depth of relationship you share. So where are the boos coming from? And are they people you respect? 
And are they people that have your best at heart? And if not, can I just encourage you, shake it off and keep going. The second thing I see, is there any truth in it? And I think sometimes when we encounter criticism or the booze, is there any truth in what people are saying? And to determine that, you have to examine your heart and examine your motives. Sometimes we've simply been misunderstood. And if there is truth in it, adjust, correct, apologize and keep going. And if it's just someone's opinion, everybody has an opinion. My husband has this great saying, opinions are like backsides. Everyone's sitting on one. There's nothing special about it. And if it's just someone's opinion and it's not the truth and it's not something you can embrace and, and take into your life and make yourself better with, then you have to shake it off because that sort of stuff happens. So who's saying it? Is there any truth in it? The third thing I see is this. Don't let it bounce around in your mind. When we let the criticisms and the boos and the unimportant things and maybe, not, maybe the things that aren't even really true bounce around in our heads, it drains our emotional energy and it just flat out wears us out. And, and there's a solution to this. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 10.5 to take our thoughts captive because often we worry about stuff that really doesn't have any value. And if we've already determined that... Um, that the people that have spoken what they've said, they don't really know us and we don't really respect their opinion and we've said that it's not true, then we really need to not let it bounce around in our head because we spend hours and hours sometimes worried about or trying to work out why this person would have said that when at the end of the day they might have just been having a bad day. They might have a bad attitude. I mean, I've had them. So we spend all this time worried about this criticism or the booze that, that's happened and it bounces around in our head and it drains our energy and it wears us out and it really isn't very important to life. Second Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We know how God thinks about us. He's cheering us on. He's made us more than conquerors. He's made us the head and not the tail. So if the booze and the criticism don't line up with the way God feels about you, then you have to take your thoughts captive and shake them off. Okay, so that's how to drown out the booze. The second part of this is how do we let the cheers rise? Because the cheers can be happening and if, if we don't let them make us rise, then it really isn't very effective. The first thing I see about letting the cheers rise is this. We have to accept them and not brush them off. We're so good at brushing off the cheers in life, aren't we? We deflect it. We all do it. Uh, we give excuses for it. We don't deserve it. It's kind of like a false humility. I think so, in some ways um, it's just better to brush them off or we feel it's more humble to brush them off. So someone might say, oh, I really like your shirt. And I'll go, oh, I got it on special. Why do we feel we need to say that? It's like I don't deserve something that I paid full price for. Or I know for me, if, if, if I'm, you know, delivering a message and someone will come and say, and you will have heard this, oh, that was really good. I might go, oh, you know, you think so? I think I did it better in the, best, in the, in the last service. I didn't really, didn't really come out. And we make excuses when people are just trying to cheer us on. So we need to get better at accepting it. You know, and it's as easy as this. And I've really tried to discipline myself to this because I think people stop cheering when you keep brushing them off. 
So it's as easy as this. Thank you, I really appreciate your encouragement. It's that simple. Thank you, thanks for the compliment, I really appreciate it. Or, yeah, I really like this shirt too. It's really simple. We've just trained ourselves to brush them off. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 in the message says this, so speak encouraging words to one another, build up hope so you'll all be together in this, no one left out and no one left behind. Let's determine to start listening to the cheers and accepting them and not brushing them off. And the second thing I see is this, let them breathe life into you. Good stories, praise, cheers, and, and things like that are the oxygen to our souls. They really are. Let's be honest. We feel better when we can hear the cheers. We feel better when we accept the cheers. They make us rise. They help us keep going. I've shared many times the story of the kids um, and the school and the cross-country race and how I would stand at the bottom of the hill that was at the end of the course and everyone was exhausted as, except for the really good cross-country runners, they'd be exhausted as they came to that hill and I would stand at the bottom and I would cheer wildly as the kids approached and then I'd run up the hill with them and I'd shout encouragement like a crazy person and leap all over the place. And this is what I noticed. I noticed that no matter how worn out they looked as they approached me, no matter how tired they looked, no matter how close they looked to giving up, when they came into my view and they could see me cheering and they could hear me encouraging them, it would often just give them that little extra boost and help them to run with endurance. It would perk them up. It would make them feel like, hey, I can do that. And that's what the cheers are all about. So can I encourage you, drown out the booze and allow yourself to rise to the cheering. I wonder if you'd let me pray for you today. Lord, I just thank you that you are the greatest encourager. I thank you that you are cheering for us. I thank you that you've surrounded us by, with a great cloud of witnesses that are continuously cheering us on. And today, Lord, I just pray for those who found themselves discouraged or, or beaten down by criticism or by the booing in life. And Lord, I just pray as your word goes out today that they would be able to shake off the booing, shake off the criticism and really begin to accept and take in the encouragement and the praise and the cheering. And I pray, Lord, as they do that, that their spirits would begin to rise and that they would be able to get up and keep running with endurance and perseverance this race of life that is set before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you may have joined us for the first time today. Maybe someone shared the stream with you or, or you've just stumbled across it. But maybe you're one of those people that I've talked about where the criticism or the booing in life has has really been very loud. Can I just encourage you that God is cheering for you? And that might be a new concept for you. And you might be on a bit of a journey with the whole God thing. And if that's the case, that's quite okay. You know, your next step is as simple as praying a prayer and inviting Jesus into your life. And that prayer goes something like this. Dear Jesus, I want to follow you. Reveal yourself to me. Amen. And can I just assure you that if you pray that prayer with your whole heart, as many people have done online, as many people have done in church life over the years and as I myself have done, 
then Jesus will begin to reveal himself to you. And the thing I love about that is that he begins to cheer you on. You begin to feel life. He came that he might give you life to the full in abundance till it overflows. And you will experience that. And our online hosts are coming back soon to give you some practical directions and what to do in your next step. And I'd just like to uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so honoured and privileged to be able to come into your lounge room or your car or wherever you find yourself watching this today. It's been so good to be with you. Have the best week and don't forget to tune in next week for Church Online.